From Cambridge 105 Radio, this is The Business of Cambridge with Sue Keogh. Episode 6 of Season 1, Building a Team. Hi, welcome to The Business of Cambridge. Now, on a recent episode, we were thinking all about the workplace, how to create a really happy and productive working environment. And this time round, we're thinking about the people that go in it. How do you find great talent? How do you motivate people? And how do you encourage them to stay? Anna Harvey from Price Bailey Accountants, thanks for joining us today. Can you give me a couple of just rough numbers? So how long has the company been going, how many locations and how many people are on the team? Price Bailey is a firm of accountants. It's been going for just over 80 years. I work for the legal services team, and which actually only has been going for about five years. So Price Bailey have 400 people and Price Bailey Legal Services has about eight people and is growing. And also Kate Hilliard. Hi. Hi. So you're the Chief Operating Officer for Helix, who are much newer. So give me a similar yeah. sort of snapshot of numbers. So we are a tech company that's about five years old. We're um, VC-backed and we're using AI machine learning to find new drugs. We've um, got one main office in Cambridge and we're about 45 people at the moment, but we're looking to double over the next 12 months. And so what I'm interested to explore in this show is, uh, you know, we've got one company that's been going for a long time, so you must have very established hiring processes. Um, Helix is a lot newer. So what are those things that you've both chosen to do? Have you got very different processes or different techniques? You know, what, and what's common to both of you? And so with Price Bailey, when you go about finding new staff, do you use a recruitment company? Do you network a lot? You know, where does it all begin with you when you're on the hunt for new people? So I've been with Price Bailey for five years now, and in that time we've had rapid growth, so almost doubled the number of people. In the last probably three or four years, we actually took on an HR team that dealt specifically with the resourcing, and that had really changed the way that we recruited, made it much more efficient, made it possible to go and sort of headhunt key talent and as a result we were able to sort of match our growth in the business and recruit some key people. So when you say headhunt are you actually going out and meeting people or are you doing it sneakily through LinkedIn or what, what's um, your approach? They have lots of tactics which I don't <laughs> know or myself a, a few of them came from recruitment agents so they sort of are, are used to that yeah there's a lot of LinkedIn not so much as going to direct competitors and knocking on their door but certainly I know from my team one particular person was recruited through LinkedIn Right, okay. And I think you have to be quite ruthless in this game, don't you? Yes. And quite good at picking up the phone. Yes. And it was great for us. We were trying to recruit a legal secretary for a long time, hadn't really found any suitable candidates. And my colleague in the resources team was able to find a great candidate just through his experience of approaching people through LinkedIn. And she wasn't particularly looking, but she was then interested in the role and the way he presented it. I think it's become kind of part and parcel of the recruitment process, yes. hasn't it? Yeah. With Helix, do you use recruitment agencies? Do you just use more sort of online techniques? What's your approach? Um, we use every approach that you can think of, and a lot of our roles um, need a different approach. So for some of our machine learner data scientist interviews, you have to use recruitment agents because the demand is just so so strong for them, so we need to work with an agent. But there are other roles where we can just advertise, you know, across a range of sites, including our own site, and we get great talent applying. So these are on the scientific side. But we also use headhunters. So for 
we've been building out our C-level team in the last six months, and we've used headhunters to specifically target that really top executive talent that we need. And, and in all these processes, we are basically, it's me and um, one other member of staff are running all this recruitment at the moment. So we're also recruiting people to help us recruit. So it's a <laughs> bit of sort of um, chasing your tail constantly as we're growing the team and improving how we do these processes. And how do you find the Cambridge environment? Because it's such a hotbed of talent, so much experience around here. But is it quite competitive as well? Do you find, you know, you've got lots of other rivals out there trying to get the same people? Yes, especially on the sort of software engineering, computer science, machine learning, that is extremely competitive. And we're actually recruiting out of London. So it's not just the Cambridge area that that we have to think about. It's all the London ecosystem where the salaries are very high for that skill set. So what we find um, is actually the hook that really gets people interested in Helixes that we are a real sort of mission-driven company. You know, we're using our tech for good. So our mission is to find new treatments for rare diseases. And our mission statement is every rare disease patient deserves a treatment. And so if you hook into that, that really gives them a reason to join us rather than joining maybe a fintech company or a um, newspaper company. And is that something you do as well at Price Bailey? You have quite a clear mission statement. Yeah, I think it's we have really worked on our culture and making sure that our website anything sort of marketing anything outward looking represents the culture and actually speaks into it and sells it really because our price bailey has a real unique culture that we work hard at preserving and we have tried to adapt it as the workforce changes in different generations so we did a big drive on smart working which is our flexible working initiative allowing people to choose how they work but flexible in that each person can actually choose their own way of working and that has been a real selling factor for Price Bailey it's definitely something that the younger generations want these days. Yeah I would Mm. echo that I think Mm. flexibility is is really key especially for the younger uh, colleagues that we have and I've actually heard that you know some of our talent has accepted our offer because we were more flexible in terms of the working environment for them and they had very good offers from other organizations so I think that that's a very important part And, and treating everybody as an individual so some people may need a different working situation than others and that's exactly how we design smart working because people's needs change in different seasons so it's not just for the youngsters Mm. it's those that now are their children have left home but they're looking after their parents and they want flexibility there let's talk about interviews which is a huge topic in itself how do you go about vetting people what's your interview process like i would say the most important thing about your interview process is plan 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 We've been very active in Helix to improve our process and really get our planning a bit more um, top-notch. So it's about understanding what it is you're looking for, both in terms of the skills, say the technical skills, but also the softer skills, making sure that there's cultural fit, that the aspirations fit, etc. And then designing a process that will be able to examine that within the candidate. So obviously there's various stages of going through the process, CV sifting, phone interview and then face-to-face interview and various different people in the hiring team involved in that. And it's very important that each member of the hiring team knows exactly what their role is and what they're questioning or examining so that the individual, the candidate, doesn't have the same questions from everybody and it just becomes a really horrible experience for them. 
I think having an application tracker system, which we have, an online platform, makes a massive difference. It keeps everybody organised and on time. And so this speed. is where people apply to in the first place, is it? Yeah. And they put their details in? and Yeah, so they just upload their CV and their cover letter and various other information. But the key thing for us internally is that that then tracks the process through the system. It makes people timely. It makes people look at the CVs and sift them and give their decision-making and, and write up after the interview. And it's all auditable. It's all trackable. It's all GDPR compliant. So it just makes life so much easier when you've got multiple roles that you're looking for. And does for. that mean that when people aren't taken forward, it helps them be told that they haven't been successful? Because that's always, for candidates, that's always a big problem, isn't it, when they yeah. just don't hear? Yes, so it ensures that the communication to the candidates is very timely. So whether they're going forward or not going forward, but it also allows us to track all the feedback. So if we need to go back and give specific feedback to an individual, we can go back to all the scorecards, that's what they're called, and actually see how they performed in the different stages of the interview. That's really interesting if you've got a similar process set up now because you're such a big company yeah I mean I think probably isn't as forward thinking as that I think that's sort of in terms of a, a system I wouldn't say we have such a structure and um, I think as professional services we're often looking at the technical part really is the first thing so from legal services point of view I would always do two-stage interview in the first one I have done a, a test of some sort technical test because if they don't match that then mm. you're not going to progress to the next level they need really. to be a- able to add yeah. up and that kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing part is so key that yeah we have to focus on on that so it's perhaps much more traditional in terms of the interview but we've then developed more than on the sort of emotional intelligence side so then the second interview would be much more testing on emotional intelligence and we do a personality profile test as well which particularly in legal services I'm very keen on it to see where people fit and then if they're going to match one the role and two match the rest of the team profiles and so we look at that in the second stage. And what are those things that tell you this person is not going to be the right fit? It's a common used profile testing disk analysis is the main thing and RM type is called insights profile so it's colours I don't know if you've heard of it before but it's sort of red yellow Mm. blue and green it's called disc because of the colors d is red yellow is i green is s and blue is c and so for a lawyer we're looking at definitely to have blue which is sort of the analytical attention to detail um, and then the other parts doesn't matter as much and how long does that whole interview process take so the first interview with the technical test is about an hour, so we'd then mark it and then give them the feedback straight away, and then the same for the second interview, another hour. Okay, so it's yeah. not too long altogether. What about you, Kate? Probably about the same, but we often... So we'd have the candidate, for the face-to-face, have the candidate in sort of for one visit initially, which would include a technical test, so it might be feedback on a test they've done offline, and we do that in a timed way for our sort of technology. Or they might be giving a presentation or doing a sort of workshop test. So that's the first hour. And then the second hour is more a cultural fit, looking at expectations. And so we don't do a psychometric test, but it's looking at those kind of um, features. Can I just ask you about cultural fit as Mm. well? Because you mentioned that a couple Mm. of times. So this is a phrase that I hear a lot. It's interesting because it kind of, it can, I think in some companies, it covers a few things up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And it allows people to get away with, the first time I came across it, these two blokes, it was quite clear. They just want someone that can just join in a bit of football banter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unconscious. Um, yeah yes. exactly yes. so yes. How, how does that work in practice when you talk
talk about cultural fit. Is it something that you actually score people on or no, is it no, a gut feeling? Or, no, or what? no. So we use that as a label for that interview and it's really a way of moving away from the technical. So whatever the role is we're looking for, that there's some kind of technical or task-based test to, to make sure they've got the actual skills you need. But then it's allowing us to look at the other side. So are they a good team player? Do they have a growth mindset? Are they sort of motivated by wanting to find treatments for rare disease patients? So when I use the catchphrase cultural fit, it's that that you're exploring and, and you're asking open questions to see if the candidate has displayed those motivations in other roles. So, so it's not that they can just give an answer that's like, yes, of course, I have a growth mindset. You're looking for the behaviours that demonstrate that they do want to grow and learn and continuously improve. So, so that's the part of the interview that is really important as well. And that's one way you have to really plan what your questions are and ask open questions. Don't lead them down to the answer you want. See if they'll get there by themselves. Okay, so Anna, in Price Bailey, you've done the interview, you've done this DISC process, you've found the right people. So once they're on the team, how do you keep them motivated? How do you get the best work out of people? I think the key is good communication. I think we don't give enough feedback generally, both poor, you know, if it's constructive criticism or praise. And so I regularly have sort of catch-ups with my staff just to see if they're okay you can often read if they're not okay these personality profiles for me are key in that too because you can understand how people behave in certain situations also yeah when they do good job make sure you praise them don't sort of just move on you finished their project's gone well and move on without actually praising them but also then when need be give them constructive feedback I think people really fear having conversations where it might be slightly as we call them difficult conversations and that actually just then causes more issues in the team so I like the open communication and always encouraging the team to communicate amongst each other and communicate with me if there is an issue rather than harboring it. So you nip it in the bud before it actually escalates yes. to, to something yeah. else. And then over in Helix, and how about you? You know, you're building this team. It's still quite a young team, really. Mm. Um, so how do you keep people motivated? What are those things that you do to yeah. make a really kind of productive workforce? Yeah, so so very similar to what Anna was saying. I mean, so one of another one of our values is transparency and open communication. So we try and share as much as possible about what's going on. So we have no offices. We're all in one big open plan office. So everybody knows what the CEO is doing. Everybody knows what I'm doing. So in that respect, people feel their part of everything and we also have regular all hands meetings where all the staff come and we talk about our successes our, um, we used to call them failures but I call it continuous improvement so things where we could do better we try and find new ways to give feedback so we found this really great online system where all the staff can write through in their mobile phones and it comes up on the screen in our all hands and it's anonymous you don't know who's given the feedback and that's a really good tool because everybody sees it it's instantaneous mm. um, and it we get some people working for us who maybe aren't as open to communicate as an average person you know um, maybe more introverted and so we don't want to put them on the spot but we want and we want to hear what they have to say so it's important that they can do this and maybe in a more anonymized way share how they're feeling without 
having to stand up in front of all their peers to share it. So I think for a tech company, it's great. But also, I think the other thing that we're very lucky to have is this purpose, this mission, which is so kind of central to everything we do, that even if there are disagreements or differences of opinion, people all know that we're all driven for that mission. So that anything, it's not personal, it it doesn't become political. It's just that, yeah, that person um, has a difference of opinion, but we both want to find new treatments for rare diseases. So it helps to get rid of some of the kind of egos and politics that you sometimes get in companies. So on A Business of Cambridge today, we're talking about how to build a strong team with Anna Harvey from Price Bailey and Kate Hilliard from Helix. And you just mentioned someone might be introverted. Mm. Um, And I'm interested in how you get that mix right. So some people might walk into an interview, they're confident as you could ever believe, Mm. and it might be quite easy for them to get the job. But you don't necessarily want a whole company full of Mm. people that are, you know, crash bang wallop. (laughs) So how do you get that mix right when you're hiring? So you're not hiring just that person, you're thinking how they fit into the bigger picture. I mean, that's really important. And, you know, unconscious bias is something that people talk about a lot now that that you recruit in your image and you've really got to make sure you don't do that. So I think we try and have a mixed interview panel. So it's about being aware that everybody has an unconscious bias and that you have a mixed hiring team that maybe has a range of personalities themselves and you try and have an independent feedback system where everybody gives their own response before seeing each other's. So that's the other thing about this online platform is that you all fill out your scorecard without seeing what anybody else thinks about the candidate because that can be very influential as well. When Do you see their names as well when they first apply? Yes, yeah, so, that could be so, an approach where you, you take the names off. No, we've, so never, we've never gone you. that far. And I personally wouldn't like to do that because I also like to look at LinkedIn. Um, I think it's very interesting to see the difference between somebody's CV and what they put in LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That can help inform you about them. So I think it's more about consciously wanting to build a diverse team. At Helix, we could be so much better in terms of diversity and how we market ourselves externally, but it's something we're very conscious about and we're, we're making a lot of effort to make ourselves look attractive to a, a diverse team and not necessarily white males. In my team, we are the majority females. We've only recently just taken on a male not because we're directly looking for that it's just the available candidates really so my team is made up of majority mothers that work part-time so it brings challenges with it but I am a big advocate for women having a career and their family and so as much as it sometimes is challenging to organize it all and manage it all I really encourage my team members not to ever feel guilty about leaving because of your child being ill or that they've got an assembly to go to for example which is where the smart working comes in so well and just encouraging them that they can absolutely have both a career and their family and we've got lots of regional offices there is in the city of London there's much more diversity in the workforce than there is in our Norwich office for example yes um but that's sort of more of a regional thing or then our intention but we could always do better I think I think everyone could always do better in the diversity there's somebody I've been working with who's really helping me open my eyes to this and I hadn't realized that even the way you advertise can be gender discriminatory and so it's about your adverts about how you show your website it's about everything you need to let people feel that they would be included and expected 
So, so am I expected to be working here, you know, rather than am I the exception? We've all got, or certainly at Helix, we've got more that we can do there to create that um, image to, to attract even better talent. Yeah, a woman I know who works in software told me once that um, in her experience, men will look at a job description and think, well, I can just do one of those yes. things and apply. Yeah. Whereas a woman yeah. will look at it yeah. and think, well, I can do nine out of 10, but yeah, oh my God, do that last eight, one, so I won't even apply at all. Yeah. So I've now got this edict at work, you know, no more than six bullet points and ideally less than that so it's very easy to have lots of bullet points of all the specifications you want in the person you're looking for but you've really got to minimize it and make it more general and it's all right to put nice to haves but if it's a must-have you make it as short as possible. I was talking to a colleague about an advert and that we were talking exactly that point where men will go for it even Mm. if they don't fulfill it but if a a woman doesn't tick one of the boxes that's it but to actually be so direct as saying don't rule yourself out if you don't fulfill Mm. all of this criteria. We we need to stop this don't we? We need to be a bit more bullish about it I think. (laughs) So let's think about the next generation as well. Um, At Price Bailey do you have any schemes like work experience, internships, placements, that kind of thing to bring the next generation in? Lots, actually. So we have work experience. We have a great graduate programme which we've developed over the recent years where the induction process and the interviewing process is really advanced, really. It's much more presentations and role-play kind of based. Then we also do a... We call it PB Inspires, where we work with local schools in the areas of our offices um, and staff go in and volunteer to either mentor, do CV, writing skills with the students, interview skills, general career advice and that has been really successful both for the staff have got so much out of it but also the students and as a result we've actually recruited some of the students. A lot have come for work experience and then some have actually come on then a graduate program or below the graduate scheme so and do you do a lot of stem outreach with what you're doing kate not as much as we probably should so because we're building we're trying to disrupt the process so we're taking the the normal drug discovery process and and uh, and trying to do it in a completely different way so we don't really actually recruit many graduates we're recruiting people with quite a lot of experience who uh, can hit the ground running and then obviously disrupt and innovate with the technology that we have. So we've had a few internships and we've taken on a few graduates in certain key roles, but across the sort of whole of the company, really, that there isn't, it's hard to think of how we would take graduates in when we don't really know what we're doing. (laughs) We're building the processes as we go. So it's very hard to kind of then have a graduate training program. But in the future, once our processes are more well established, and we really have been delivering our new drugs, then that might be something that we go towards in the future. And so someone listening to this is starting a new business, what would you tell them about hiring a great team? Where would they start? I mean, the team is everything. So if you're starting your own business, 100%, it's all about the team. So even if some of the ideas are a little bit flaky and you have to pivot, (laughs) all startups pivot. If you've got the right people around you, you can pivot and and there's no problem. So Helix has has changed direction, not changed direction, but we've taken little sort of tweaks along the way in, in terms of our direction and that's completely fine. So it's about networking. It's about getting the right connections and finding that right talent and it has to be quite senior at the beginning just so that you can build a strategy and and build a direction but very quickly you want to get the younger talent that can grow and really shape the company as their careers develop. And how about you Anna what advice would you give to someone just starting out building a team? 
try not to recruit on a reactionary basis often we recruit because we've got too busy Mm. then you don't recruit for the right role you haven't properly thought about the role that you want and two you just take anyone because you need the role filling Um, and actually to be more strategic at the beginning I've made mistakes that way where we've recruited too low sort of too junior and that didn't work then too senior and they kind of wanted to take over the whole business so so actually to take time to develop and look at the role that you want to recruit for and then the ideal person that you're looking for with my employment lawyer hat on I would definitely also say don't be afraid to recruit employment lawyers got wide boundaries everyone thinks it's a tight rope but it's actually got wide boundaries and in the first two years the employee is essentially on probation and I would say use that utilize it for what it's there for it's a two-way relationship you have good feedback during that time if it's not working then don't be fearful of releasing people do make mistakes and that's okay in recruitment it takes some time if you speak a lot of my clients that's their biggest issue is to continue to build the strong team so you're not alone if you're making mistakes in it so I would definitely say just try it out Mm -hmm. but be strategic about how you recruit and have either of you got a killer question that you always ask in an interview that's really revealing Uh, (laughs) a question that's my go-to question where I'm not quite sure what to ask is is talk me through the decisions in your CV Ooh, (laughs) ouch (laughs) so um, I don't want to know I can obviously see the roles you've got in your CV but why did you make those changes you did and what drove you yeah I think I on the emotional intelligence side sort of owning up to them something the biggest mistake you've made and how you've remedied it really Um, and whether they are honest in that the fact that they've made a mistake ever often it will be oh I can't think of anything yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is quite telling yeah. <laughs> okay so that's really handy if anyone's applying for a job at Helix or yeah, Price yeah, Valley yeah. they know what you're going to ask prepared. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me today so this has been the Business of Cambridge and you can catch up online you can listen to the podcast and uh, join us again next time for more stories from the Cambridge business community Our thanks to Anna Harvey and Kate Hilliard, guests on episode six of The Business of Cambridge. You can download or stream this or any other episode of season one at Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you get your online audio. And of course it's on the Cambridge 105 radio website. The series is a TDC production And in the next episode, Sue Keogh and her guests will discuss making the most out of digital. Cambridge 105 Radio.